Thank you for listening to Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible, a new, much funnier translation of the entire Hebrew Bible written by me, David Tuckman. I'm coming to you from my living room, slickly edited over some room tone to make it sound like I'm whispering to you before the show. If this is your first time listening, don't worry, you can jump right into this episode. If catching up first is more your thing, you can try the three Just the Bible Bits episodes of the show, which will speed you through the first 18 episodes. Or you can listen to the massive SoundCloud playlist at www.soundcloud.com slash omgwtfbible. This month, Yosef finally reunites with his brothers. If you enjoy this month's show and have something you'd like to share, drop me a line at omgwtfbible at gmail.com. Or you can post a comment on the Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash omgbible, tweet at at omgwtfbible, or comment on the blog at www.omgwtfbible.com. You might also want to consider signing up for the mailing list by clicking on the link in the rightmost column on omgwtfbible.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review it in the iTunes store. It only takes a minute and really helps. Now, the recap. Previously in the Bible, God created literally everything, including Yosef and his angry brothers who sold him into slavery. Yosef quickly rose to power in Mitzrayim, also known as Egypt, and during a famine, found his brothers groveling at his feet, unaware of his identity, begging with him not to punish Binyamin, their youngest brother, and the son of Yosef's mother. Enjoy the show! For thousands of years, we've been under the impression the Bible was meant to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that'll change all that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Welcome to episode 21 of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman. We are coming to you from Beauty Bar in front of a live audience. Yeah! Each month on the show, a guest joins me and tries to read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. Today is Monday, May 26, 2014. It's Memorial Day. Uh, it's a day off, so everyone is here. I want to give you all a big hand, or I want you to give yourselves a big hand for being here. Thank you for coming out and enjoying some of the food. Right now, uh, I have a pretty serious beard going on. If everybody wants to take a picture and of it and tweet it, they are more than welcome to. We're, we're in the middle of Sfirat HaOmer. I don't know why you would. Somebody's confused by the idea of taking a picture of my beard, but why not? We're in why the middle not? of Sfirat. Why not? And why not? Why not? That's my guess, but he's, he's, uh, he's not been introduced yet. <laughs> that means that means nobody knows who you are. That's not true. I'm world famous. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Anyway, it is Sfirat HaOmer right now, which is a Jewish period of mourning. It's also the Rangers are on a playoff run right now. <laughs> Try to guess which reason I'm growing a beard. Uh, the next episode of the show I am so excited to announce um, is going to take place right here in Beauty Bar on 14th Street on June 23rd at 8 p.m., uh, this episode that we are doing is the second to last episode in Genesis. Next month, we are going to be recording the last episode in Genesis. We are finally finishing book one, and I have booked a very, very special guest for the show. I am going to have every single person who has ever read Genesis come on the show and read the last chapter of Genesis or the last episode. So be there for that. It's going to be really cool. I want to thank Wendy Chin for the food. Um, there's some delicious food here that she is sponsoring. 
And as always, I want to thank Juicy.com for uh, hosting these episodes once a month. Anyway, please welcome to the stage your guest, author of Dear Reader, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il and subject of Harvey Picard's Ego and Ubris. Ladies and gentlemen, the dear writer, Michael Malice. <laughs> thank you, Michael, and thank you for being on the show. This is a picture of your, uh, this is your book that That's I'm holding correct. up in front of everybody. Um, as you can see, I haven't finished it yet. I'm That's sorry. That's fine. <laughs> um, I hope I don't get sent to a re-education camp. Well, hilarious. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you've heard it all. <laughs> Michael, who the hell are you? <laughs> uh, why is this night not like other nights? <laughs> um, I, well, as you said very well, I, I write books for celebrities for a living, and I took uh, a trip to North Korea and I adapted all the propaganda into Kim Jong-il's uh, autobiography. It's the world's first unauthorized autobiography, so I invented a new genre. And I can say without hyperbole that it is a million times better and more important than the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show. Yeah. Um, this is a really crazy book. I like that I'm holding it up like this is a TV show, because <laughs> nobody listening can hear it or see it. Um, <laughs> very confusing. This is a But they can buy it on Amazon. They can buy it on Amazon. Yes. It's kind of an incredible book because, for, well, first of all, I have no idea what kind of process went into making this happen. Oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you very briefly. I read yes. 60, six zero books. So I read, I had armloads of books from North Korea, and I read the entire Western Library because I wanted to present the North Korean history in a way that's entertaining and not, you know, horribly depressing because people need to know what's going on there. Yeah, it's... Excuse me, it's really incredible because... It's not credible, you're absolutely right. It's, what's present, it's, what's it's not credible what at all. What is presented as fact there is not credible. It's really, it's, it's quite a crazy book. But it's, it's really interesting to me to read this stuff from the first-person perspective. And I really appreciate that you did it this way because, you know, I mean, I studied history in school, but there's something very different between uh, or from studying source documents, which is what you did, and, and reading a narrative like right. this, because you really start to see the psyche, and you start to see the kind of perspective that the propaganda is trying to create. Right. Yeah, it's written from Kim Jong-il's point of view, and everything there is sourced somewhere. I didn't have to make up anything, so it's something you can read on the beach and or bathroom, and at the same time... And get you, a lot of weird looks. And, uh, <laughs> on the train, especially. Yeah. But you, uh, you are going to get an understanding of how North Korea got to be where it is today, which I think most people don't have, even people in the media who report on it. They just like to say that, oh, they're wacky and crazy, but there's a method to and what they are. <laughs> and they are, uh, but they're not crazy in the sense of random and arbitrary. Um, they're crazy in the sense of malevolent and, and you know, kind of controlled and, and conscious. Right. What's really, I, I think, interesting is that I feel like it's the creation of a myth. Yeah, what well, is very the, consciously the book, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and it, that, which is kind of why I wanted to have you on because it, it feels somewhat similar to what we're about to read, which is a very different kind of myth. But it is very much the foundational myth of the country right now. Absolutely. The story and, of the country as told through Kim Jong Il's voice. And I've met refugees, and they told me growing up that they honestly believe that Kim Il Sung, the founder of North Korea, could walk on water. They honestly believe that if he write, he signed his name to a piece of paper, the signature could fly off the page. Uh, that Kim, you know, even a book last year that I got in North Korea uh, claimed that whenever Kim Jong Il went, the weather changed. And in fact, that's why in in, in Russia they call him the man who brings sunshine. Uh, something which is obviously very easily to verify is not true. Uh, it, even if he can change the weather, they don't call him that in Russia. Um, so it doesn't make sense on any level. But it is very much presented. And, and this, again, this is not just for ego. This is to say that if the regime were to go away and this god king were to go away, North Korea would be destroyed. So that is a very big incentive for the people in the populace to pay homage to the state and be obedient. Yeah. 
what, what was amazing to me was the way that the voice justifies things. Oh yeah, that was very fun. I had him. Yeah. So I had so North Korea. They they take on all these criticisms and they address them very cleverly. For example, when the UN attacked them for human rights abuses and having concentration camps, they literally respond by saying, "We don't use the term concentration camps, so we don't have them." <laughs> uh, and 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 they they said this with a straight face. And what are you going to do about it? You know. So they, they uh, address all their points. One of my favorite parts of the book is when they in you know. Uh, had censorship in North Korea, and all foreign books were expelled. Oh, it's terrifying. Punishable by death. Yeah. To this day, if you go to China and to go there to get food and come back, uh, you're not really punished that badly. But if you go to China and have a Bible and come back, you and your family will be killed, like to this day. Um, so there was one part in the book where Kim jong Il is talking about censorship, and he says, well, it's not censorship because these, these ideas are outdated and, and rotten. You're not going to have old food in your cupboard, so there's no reason for our libraries to have these old books. Right. So there is very much a conniving, uh, uh, almost diabolical approach to what they do. So it's, it's that much more chilling knowing that there's 24 million people suffering under this right now. Absolutely. What, what I think... But what, it's hilarious. It's book's very funny. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a roller coaster ride. One of the things well, that... Well, there's a roller coaster chapter. Did you get to that? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, I love that chapter. He, he really likes fun parks. Yes. What, one of the things that um, was really chilling to me was the, or to use your word, but the uh, like progression um, from, uh, you know, pushing out people who are clearly against the regime to really, really suppressing any dissent and any right. thought. Right. I think it was um, like flunkyism. Oh yeah, and dogmatism. And they brag about this. They boast that we, they have a monolithic ideological system where everyone has the same ideas as the leader. And this to them is an accomplishment that no one thinks differently. It's not something to be terrified of. So they are very proud of what they've done. And again, it, this didn't happen overnight. It took decades to get the country to the point where it is today. And it's, the book kind of reads like a murder mystery because we know who the victims are, the 24 million North Korean people, and this shows you how they were kind of taken to this point and why, and, and the metho methodology behind it. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's one thing, or there were a couple things that really stood out to me as completely unbelievable, and I want to challenge you on that. Okay, sure. Um, this list, and I want you to read it, of popular DPRK songs. Oh, okay. Well, this is absolutely 100% true. Uh, <laughs> this is, this, you can download all these songs. So these are songs that are popular in, in North Korea. Because only Korean songs are appropriate right. for well, Koreans. Juche, according to their, their philosophy, Juche, everything should be of Korea, by Korea, and right. from Korea. So these are, are some big uh, uh, billboard chart hits in North Korea. Song of Bean Paste. <laughs> okay. We Shall Hold Bayonets More Firmly. <laughs> the Joy of Bumper Harvest Overflows Amidst the Song of Mechanization. <laughs> Song of Snipers. We've taken grenades in our hands. People are encouraged to you know, lay down their life for the leader. Uh, my youngest daughter became a machine gunner. I also raise chickens. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's a song called I Raise Chickens. That's right. why I left that was, it was the response song. That's why song. I left that in. I, I don't know if it's a kind of rap battle. Right. <laughs> song of Blood Transfusion. Nightingale Sing in Our Factory Compound. <laughs> I Like Rifle. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Song of automation full of happiness, and most chillingly at all, of all, the world envies us. So they were taught for a long time that they, the people that they're, they have it much better than the rest of the world. And now as more and more people go to China 
and, and more and more people see TV shows from South Korea, uh, the regime has acknowledged that North Korea is actually poor and the world doesn't envy us. But now the idea is that they're holding on to this racist idea of Koreanness, while those in the South are being given AIDS by interbreeding with the American beasts and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's a, an incredible book because it tells the story of a really, really scary place, but and it's, all, it's, 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 it's so real. much fun to read. It's, yeah. yeah, and I think it behooves us all, you know, especially people who are Jewish, who, you know, we go in high school and we wonder how the Holocaust could have happened and what led up to it. These, these things don't happen overnight, and it's, it's, there's 200,000 people right now in concentration camps. You can see them on Google Earth, uh, and, and people just want to talk about Dennis Rodman, so it's just mind-boggling to me. Uh, how this could happen, but again, the book is really funny. Yeah. As, yeah. So that was I felt my job is to kind of you know put it in a presentable, entertaining format, like you're doing with the Bible. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Bible a little bit. Uh, that's what we're here for. You you just mentioned that you're Jewish. I am. What Very is much your... so ultra Zionist? <laughs> what is your background like? I uh, was born in the former Soviet Union. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I went to yeshiva till fourth grade. Which yeshiva? Yeshiva Flatbush. Ah. Oh. Uh, which I'm very very proud of. They brainwashed me very well. Um, and it's there was a one very big parallel between uh, yeshiva in North Korea, and it's as follows. You know, North Korea, you have to pay lip service. <laughs> no, and this is something that's interesting. In North Korea, we always people in America always wonder. Do they really believe what they're told? Right. You know, because they have to present as buying into everything, or else their whole family is going to be killed. Right. So when I was in yeshiva, I, again, I was from the former Soviet Union. No one who comes from the former Soviet Union has religion. I mean, they're Jewish by kind of genetics or however you want to call it, but you're, you're not keeping kosher, you're not going to shul, anything like that. And this is pretty much known and acknowledged, especially in New York. But of course, when I was in school, I had to pretend that I did. I had the yarmulke, I had the tefillin, and everything like that. And the question was, were they? smiling and nodding and just pretend like it was just a facade on both sides or did they really believe that I had kind of converted and I've spoken to people who I went to school to yeshiva with and like their moms and we still don't know if the the administration really thought I was Jewish or they were kind of you know winking uh, the other going way. along yeah so it's very interesting it's a, to me like what they really thought because like, they gave me a scholarship and everything because that was so brilliant <laughs> yes you talk about that a lot in uh... <laughs> In ego and hubris. The facts <laughs> talk about it a lot. Yes. <laughs> I'm just a you know, humble reporter. <laughs> Talking about how not humble yeah. <laughs> the reality is. Yeah. That's covered a lot in ego and hubris, which I'm not sure we have time to go into because I want to I wanna talk a little bit more about um, your Judaism. Now, um, do you identify as Jewish right now? Very, very heavily. In okay. fact, you know, if I ever had any sons, I would 100% have them circumcised so that if he became... Would a you do it yourself? Uh, no. I, I, like, it was that joke, how many Jews does it take to change a light bulb? One, but not this one. Um, uh, you know, because I think so many people have died and suffered for so many years. For me to be the end of the line to repudiate that is so obnoxious uh, that I would never... sound like my grandmother. Do I? <laughs> she calls me, she worries about yeah. you. <laughs> I'll tell her you put on the sweater. <laughs> I get cold, I get chilly. That's why you need the sweater. Um, do you do you identify with a particular movement or with a denomination? Uh, whichever denomination says the idea that women could be rabbis is crazy, that's the one. Okay, so you don't so from that side to the right. So orthodoxy. Is to that the orthodox? Right. Yes, okay. it is. Because yeah. I, I feel if you're going to be a if you're going to buy into the book, you have to buy into all of it. You don't get okay. to pick and choose with a highlighter. Okay. I don't buy any of it. Okay. You know, as that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but if you're gonna you know drink the Kool Aid, you gotta fucking finish the glass. Can I curse? Can yes. I say fucking? Okay. You know, oh my God, what the fuck Bible, you can curse. 
Um, do, do you believe in God? Uh, I, I don't like that question. Um, <laughs> Why so not? I don't, uh, let's put it this way. I don't identify as atheist because I okay. think that word has no meaning and I, uh, literally, in a literal sense to be autistic about it. Um, and I think people who say that they do uh, have a weird coincidental way that God tends to agree with everything that they like and hates what they hate and it, all sorts of bad things happen from that. For people who believe in God. Yeah, I think of people who are very declarative of, of having some kind of religion. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but do, could you define what, I mean, if you, you don't define as atheist. No, okay. identify as atheist, no. You don't identify as atheist, no. but you don't believe in, in sort of the God of the Bible, I suppose. No, no, that, okay. that I, I do not believe in whatsoever. Um, have you ever read the entire thing? Oh, yes. Okay. What's yeah. your favorite story? Uh, my favorite your story character. is one that got me a huge book deal. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> I wonder why. Because uh, uh, I was a good Jew. So I was, go I was writing uh, UFC champion Matt Hughes. I was co-authoring his autobiography. But before I got the deal, I had to talk to his manager. And his man Matt is a born-again Christian, really believes it. And his manager was on the phone with me, and he was worried about hiring me. And he honestly said, uh, me being Jewish, he goes, I don't know if this is like an accountant trying to change a tire. Uh, I don't know why I have to be an accountant, but that's fine. <laughs> and I came prepared for this. And there was a book, I think it was Amos. And, and or in, in the book it says, I was a Philistine to the Philistines, I was a Levite to the Levites, I was all things to all men, so that the message could go forth. So when I respond to him in those terms, as opposed to you, have, you, you can't discriminate my religion, that kind of gave him pause, and from there I got the book, and I, that was my first you know, co-authoring uh, thing. So that passage will always uh, be close to my heart. That's That and, and that laying with the man is an abomination, because we, <laughs> we need to say that more now that Fred Phelps is in heaven. <laughs> Um, are you guys ready to read the Bible? <laughs> All right, this is Torah, a loose translation. In the beginning, chapter 49, Genesis 45, 1 to 46, 7, in which Yosef reveals himself to his brothers. Yosef couldn't take it anymore. All these people, get everyone out of here, he shouted. The room was empty. Yosef revealed himself to his brothers. Keep going. I thought you got, you got a joke there. I know, I know, but I rewrote, your joke? I rewrote some stuff. Well, you You'll gotta say. let me know there's a You'll superscript. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, a, that's gotta be a sin. That's no mitzvah, my friend. <laughs> Avoiding a superscript is one of the <laughs> yes. first. His voice trembled so with crying that all of Mitzrayim and the house of Pharaoh could hear. I am Yosef, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? Terrified, his brothers could not respond. Come closer to me, Yosef said to his brothers. So according to Rashi, the medieval commentary, um, when Yosef says to his brothers, come closer to me, in order to fully assuage their fears, he revealed to them that he was truly Jewish by showing them his circumcision. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fine with me. They, uh, that's not an abomination. He's not laying down with them. How else are you going to know? You show the in-group <laughs> yeah. symbol. I mean... And they did come to him. Yeah. I am Yosef, your brother, he said, whom you sold to Mitzrayim. Don't be worried. Don't let your eyes burn with anger for having sold me here. Oh, talk about transference. God sent me here to bring life. Oh, he's a hippie now. The famine has gnawed at the heart of the land for two years now. There will not be plowing or harvest for another five years. God has sent me before you to make sure you're kept alive here. Yeah. His, his great deliverance comes through. It was God's will that you sent me here. He has made me like a father to Pharaoh, a master to all his house, and a ruler over all the land of Mitzrayim. 
The brothers are all silent because they still can't believe they were stupid enough not to realize it was Yosef all along. Well, he's wearing that coat, right? No, no, no. no. Oh, not yet? Okay. No, they dipped that in blood and showed it to Yisrael. Oh, okay. That coat is long gone. Oh, damn, I gotta go, I gotta go back to Yeshiva, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hurry, go back to my father. Tell him, God has made your son Yosef master of all of Mitzrayim. He is gonna shep so much nachas. <laughs> go to him, don't wait. Also, I hate to say I told you so, but remember that dream I had that said you guys would bow before me? <laughs> it's kind of happening right now. Then you'll settle in the land of Goshen. Goshen is great. There's a shuffleboard court, a pool. You'll love it. You'll be close to me. You, your sons, the sons of your sons, your sheep, your cattle, and everything you got. I'll take care of you there. This famine still has another five years to go, and I don't want you, your estate, and all you have ending up destitute. Now your eyes and my brother Binyamin's eyes see that my mouth's speaking to you. Weird. Tell my father how much they respect me in Mitzrayim and everything you've seen. Especially the part where I showed you my dick. <laughs> Hurry, bring my father here. <laughs> Yosef fell on Binyamin's neck and cried. And Binyamin cried on Yosef's neck. So Rashi, again, has this thing here about how all the commentators say and the rabbis say that the reason the two brothers are weeping is because... Um, some religious buildings that will eventually be built in their portions are in Israel are destroyed and they're having a prophecy about that because why would two long lost brothers cry when finally reunited? Yeah, what are they, gay? Yeah. <laughs> Yosef kissed all his brothers and cried to them. After his brothers talked to him, Yosef's brothers have come, the voice cried out throughout Pharaoh's house. There's a really good PA system. <laughs> Pharaoh and his slaves saw this was good. Well, if Pharaoh thought it was good, the slaves didn't have much of a choice, I think. <laughs> That's the Bible way. Yep. Uh, Tell your brothers, Pharaoh said to Yosef, load up your animals and go back to Canaan. Pick up your father and your homes and come to me. I'll give you from the best of the land. You will eat the best of the land. Also, I command you to say... Oh my God, just write it out. You invented papyrus. <laughs> Take wagons from Mitzrayim for your children and your wives. Pick up your father and come. Do not take pity on your vessels because Mitzrayim's best will be yours. Don't take pity on them. Smash everything. Pretend it's Zelda. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Israel's sons did exactly that. Yosef gave them wagons, like Pharaoh said, and provisions for the road. He gave them all three changes of clothing. To Binyamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothing. Five changes of clothing for a two-week journey. Yeah, that's kind of packing light. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is what he sent his father. Ten donkeys laden with Mitzrayim's best. Ten she-donkeys laden with grain, bread, and barley for Yaakov to eat on the journey. That's how uh, trail mix was invented. <laughs> Yosef sent off his brothers and they left. Don't fight each other on the road, he shouted after them. Oh my God, so much shade in that one comment. <laughs> Buku shade. Yeah. They rose up from Mitzrayim and reached their father Yaakov in Canaan. Yosef is still alive, they told him. He's ruling over Egypt. Yaakov's heart went numb. He didn't believe them. But when they told Yaakov everything Yosef had said to them, and he saw the wagons Yosef sent to carry him, Yaakov's spirit was revived. This is too much, Israel said. My son Yosef is still alive. I must go see him before I die. Better hurry. Yisrael traveled with all he had. When they got to Be'er Sheva, he slaughtered a bunch of sacrifices to his father Yitzchak's God. That's just what you do in Be'er Sheva, apparently. <laughs> At least he didn't shout out, Yehovah, like both of his fathers did. Yaakov, Yaakov, God said to Israel in night dreams. Really not doing a great job of maintaining his new name. <laughs> I am here, Yaakov slash Yisrael said. 
I am the El, the God of your fathers. Don't be afraid of going down to Mitzrayim because that's where I will make you into a great nation. He kind of slipped over the whole slavery thing. But How else are you going to build a great that's nation? That's okay. Uh, it's Memorial Day. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I, I will go down with you and I will raise you up. And Yosef will place his hands on your eyes. Again, weird. Yaakov got up from Beersheba. Yisrael's sons carried him, their children, and their women in the wagons that Pharaoh sent. They took their cattle and the property they'd amassed in Canaan. Uh, Yaakov arrived in Mitzrayim with all his descendants, his sons, the sons of his sons, his daughters, the daughters of his sons, and all his seed Ooh. came with him to Mitzrayim. Songs from Joseph and they made... Oh, no, 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 I read this part. Well, okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. So that's chapter 49. Let's hear it from Michael. This is a running thing that we do. Uh, these are the songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that were covered in this chapter. Okay. Joseph All the Time, <laughs> which sounds like a cover or a parody of Eddie Murphy's Party All the Time, and Jacob in Egypt. Uh, let's do another one. This is chapter 50, Genesis 46.8 to 46.27, in which we get a quick recap on all the procreating Yisrael's family has been doing. These are the names of Israel's sons who went to Mitzrayim. <clears throat> Yaakov and his sons. Oh my God. Israel and his sons. Whatever. It's not. It's my neuroticism popping out. I get crazy whenever I see this mistake. But Neurotic Jews? Yeah. <laughs> There's such a thing. Uh, Yaakov's firstborn, firstborn Reuven. His sons, Hanoch, Falu, Hezron, Harmi, the sons of Shimon. Yemuel, Yamin, Ochad, Yachin, Sochar, Shaul, the son of Kenai. What's the adjective? Ken, Ken, the, the son of the Kenaani woman. Kenaani woman. Yes. Um, so according to Rashi here, um, since it's the definite article, the Kenaani woman, it's someone who's been mentioned previously. He speculates that this refers to Dina, uh, Yaakov's daughter who was involved with that whole thing with Shem earlier on. Uh, Shem was a Kenaani. As we know, Shimon killed Shem after tricking him into circumcising himself and everybody he knew. Rashi claims that afterwards, Shimon made it up to Dina by having a kid with her. Because nothing helps you get over the murder of your lover by having sex with the brother who killed him. It's nature's way. I, we've all seen Game of Thrones. I haven't, but they tell me I look like Joffrey. <laughs> That's, oh dear, he, you do. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good actor. They kill, oh, okay. Yeah, I this, hate him, whatever. Uh, <laughs> hate, hate's a strong word, No, no, David. no, no, Joffrey, he's uh, a bad guy. Uh, what is he, a goy? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> There's something very goyish about King Joffrey. <laughs> the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kahat, Marami, Oh, the sons of Yehuda, Er, who died in Canaan. Because he did a bad thing God didn't like. Onan, who died in Canaan. Because he masturbated. Yeah. Also, these guys probably shouldn't be on the list of people who are going to Mitzrayim because they're dead, but That's whatever. Shelah, Feretz, Chetzron, Hamul, Zarach, the sons of Yisachar, Tola, Fuva, Yov, Shimron, the sons of Zvul. These are so Zvulun. good for baby names. Yeah. <laughs> Sered, Ailan, Yachlel. These are the sons of Leah born to Yaakov in Padamaran and his daughter Dinah. 
All the sons of his sons and daughters, number 33. Even though, and I counted, there are just 32 listed here. Uh, again, commentators said this number includes Yocheved, mother of Moshe, who was conceived outside of Mitzrayim but born in it. Or, you know, someone forgot to carry the one. There's no mistakes in the Bible, no. people. <laughs> Open your eyes. The sons of God, Tzfoyen, Chagi, Shuni, Etzbon, Irai, Arodi, Ar Areli, the sons of Asher, Yimna, Yishva, Yishvi, Vriya, Hever, Malkiel, their sister Sharach. I haven't talked like this since Yeshiva. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are the sons. Getting of, really into it. Yeah. Those are the sons. It's all coming back. Those are the sons of Zilpah, who Lavan gave to his daughter Leah. She birthed to Yaakov sixteen souls. The sons of Ruchel, Yaakov's women, were Yosef and Binyamin. In Mitzrayim, Osna, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On birthed Ephraim and Menashe to Yosef. The sons of Binyamin were Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naman, Aichi, Rosh, Mupim, Chupim, <laughs> and Ard. Mupim, Chupim, and Ard were the subject of short-lived animated series in the 1980s. <laughs> Those are the sons of Ruchel. She birthed to Yaakov, 14 souls in total. The oh. sons of Don, Chushim. Don was the only one of Yaakov's sons who knew how to use birth control. <laughs> Or Onanism. Or Onanism. No, he would have been dead. <laughs> the sons of Naphtali, Yatzel, Guni. Guni's never die. Yatzer. He died, though. Shalem. They all died. Yeah. Spoiler, they're all dead. Yeah. Spoiler, they're all dead Except now. Except for Jesus. Yeah. That's the sequel, man. <laughs> He's coming back. BRB, any day now. <laughs> Those are the sons of Bilhah. It's a really long away message. Yeah. He's been on Red forever. <laughs> those are the. I think I saw him on Reddit. Those are the. Those Ask are the, me anything. I'm Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All those upvotes, right? Yeah. Those, those are the sons of Bilhah who Lavan gave to his daughter Ruchel. She birthed seven souls to Yaakov in total. The total number of souls who came with Yaakov, his descendants, not counting the women of his sons, because who counts women? Uh, were 66. Two sons of Yosef were born in Mitzrayim. The entire count of souls of House Yaakov going to Mitzrayim was 70. That is chapter 50. Oh my God. Let's do another one. This is chapter 51, Genesis 46:28 to 47:12, in which Yaakov meets his son's boss. Yaakov sent Yehuda ahead to Yosef to send instructions to Goshen. When Yehuda got to Goshen, Yosef saddled his chariot and rode to Goshen to greet his father Yisrael. When he saw him, he fell on his neck and cried and cried on his neck. Now I can die, Yisrael said to Yosef. On his neck. Since I have seen your face. On his neck. And you are still alive. I will go to Pharaoh, Yosef said to his brothers and father's house, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's house who were in Canaan have come to me. These men are shepherds. They are men of livestock. They brought their sheep, cattle, and all they have with them. And when Pharaoh calls you, he will ask, what do you do? Your slaves have been men of livestock, you will say, from our youth until now, we and our fathers. Say this so you can live in the land of Goshen. Mitzrayim thinks shepherds are disgusting. <laughs> so Mitzrayim, the word toeva, which means uh, abomination, is used uh, for how Mitzrayim thinks of Jews and how Mitzrayim thinks of shepherds, just wow. two things that they hated. Apparently, they hate shepherds because, according to the rabbis, uh, sheeps are deities to them. Wow. So, 
Yosef went to Pharaoh. That's my, a thing. <laughs> uh, my father and my brothers just got here from Canaan with their sheep, cattle, and everything they have, Yosef said. They're in Goshen now. He took five of his brothers and brought them for Pharaoh. Which five? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. What do you do? Pharaoh asked them. Your slaves. So many of them. <laughs> Your slaves are shepherds, they said. Us and our fathers. We have come to live here. There is nowhere to graze your slave sheep. The famine is very severe in the land of Canaan. If you're okay with it, we'd like to live in Goshen. Your, fathers and, your father and brothers have come to you, Pharaoh said to Yosef. The land of its rhyme lays before you. Settle them in the best of the land. Your father and your brothers shall settle in Goshen. If you know that any among them are valiant, appoint them as captains of cattle over what I have. Pff, these assholes, they wouldn't know valiant if it sold them into slavery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yikes. Yeah. Oh, God, did they have muted trumpets back then? Call back. <laughs> Yosef brought his father Yaakov and stood him before Pharaoh. This was not easy to do because of how old he was. Yaakov blessed Pharaoh. How many days are the years of your life, Pharaoh asked Yaakov. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> it's an Egyptian thing, you yeah. understand. The, the days of the years of my time here are 130 years, Yaakov said. <laughs> The days of the years of my life have been short and terrible. Well, first of all, 130 is not short. Second of all, Yaakov has depression. Well, maybe he's like 5'2". Yeah. <laughs> um, they do not match the days of the years of the journeys of my fathers. Yaakov blessed Pharaoh and left. Well, that was super sad. Aw. Yosef settled his father and brothers and gave them a share in the best of the land of Mitzrayim and Ramses. Like Pharaoh commanded him, Yosef took care of his father and his brothers and his father's entire house with bread, according to the number of children they had. And that is chapter 51. Let's hear it again. Um, I think we have reached the end of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat covered in this chapter, Any Dream Will Do, Reprise, and Joseph Megamix. Um, chapter 52... Genesis 47.13 to 47.26, in which Yosef further consolidates the power of the crown in inadvertently screwing up things for his family in the distant future. The famine was so harsh, there was literally no bread. All of Mitzrayim and Canaan were just generally fucked. Can I say fucked? Yeah. Uh, Yosef collected all the silver in Mitzrayim and Canaan in exchange for the rations the people bought and funneled it into Pharaoh's coffers. When there was no silver left in, in Mitzrayim or Canaan, all of Mitzrayim came to Yosef. Please give us bread, they said. Why should we die for you? There's no money. Bring your livestock, Yosef said. If there's no money, I'll trade for your livestock. They brought their cattle to Yosef, and he gave them bread in exchange for horses, herds of sheep and cattle, and donkeys. Why didn't they eat the... Okay, whatever. That year, Yosef fed them by giving them bread for all their livestock. The next year, they came again. We will not hide from our master, they said. We've spent our money and herds of animals have on our master. We've got nothing left for our master but our bodies and our land. Ooh. Why should we die before your eyes, us and our land? Guess what you're going to pay with. <laughs> Buy us and our land with bread. We and our land shall be slaves to Pharaoh. We will seed the earth we live, not die, and the land does not go fallow. Ooh. This is grim. Yeah. yeah. Yosef brought all the land in Mitzrayim for Pharaoh. Each Mitzri man brought, sold his field because the famine was super harsh. <laughs> and the land went to Pharaoh. He transferred the nation through cities from one end of the borders of Mitzrayim to the others. So according to commentators, the only reason he did this was to remind them that they had nothing and belonged to him. Wow. Yeah. No John Brown there, huh? No. Uh, only the land of the priests was left unsold because Pharaoh gave the priests a stipend. The original faith-based tax exemption. <laughs> 
They ate that stipend and didn't have to sell their land. I bought you and your land for Pharaoh today, Yosef said. Here's some seed. Go sow the land. When crops grow, you must give one-fifth to Pharaoh. The remaining four will be for you to seed the field and to feed those in your house and your children. I just want to point out that this is essentially uh, like a benevolent totalitarian dictatorship where is nobody there any other owns. kind? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Just ask them. The benevolent part. <laughs> the only reason Yosef has food is to be collected one-fifth of Mitzrayim's production during the good years. He is literally selling these people their own food back, and they are grateful. Well, yeah. Yeah. Property. That's not communism. That's property rights. Sure. Um, <laughs> You've saved us, they said. May we find favor in our master's eyes and be slaves to Pharaoh. That's how you... Thanks, Lux. <laughs> <laughs> Lux loves the slavery jokes. (laughs) Or at least three-fifths of them. (laughs) Too soon? uh, Let's try to keep things civil. Uh, That's how Yosef Yosef imposed the law that exists to this day. To this day. Pharaoh receives one-fifth of the production of all the lands of Mitzrayim, except for the land of the priests, this is not for Pharaoh. So this was written before the Arab Spring, so things have changed slightly in Egypt. (laughs) One more chapter, chapter 53. (laughs) Two pages, we can do it. Genesis 47, 27, and 47, 31, in which Yisrael plans his own funeral. Yisrael settled in the land of Goshen and Mitzrayim. Him, he and his kids collected shares there and were very fruitful and multiplicative. Multiplicative, that's a word? Multiplicative. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Mitzipitopolik. Uh, Mixius Pitalik? Mixipitalik. That I can pronounce. Mixius Pitalik. Now say multiplicative backwards. Uh, that's not a clip six him. Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim 17 years. Yaakov's days, the years of his life, were 147 years. Yisrael's days were approaching death and he called his son Yosef. Please, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand on my dick and do kindness and truth with me. That's what... That was me speaking to David. That's, yeah. that's... <laughs> I'm getting off script. Stop, we're on the air. And I don't sing that way. It's an abomination, I keep telling you. Yeah. It's please, like shepherding. Please, please, is that converting? Uh, please don't bury me, Mitzrayim. Please, they're all anti-Semites. Let me rest with my father. So... According to the Talmud in Ketuvot 111a, or 111, one of the reasons Yaakov didn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim was because when the Messiah eventually comes, all the dead people buried outside of Israel would roll to Israel through tunnels, where they would emerge from the ground, and that would be very painful. So he preferred not to roll, thank you very much. Wait, painful to whom? The dead people. Oh, they, the they would be revived, and then they would roll through the tunnels, Presumably on their sides. I don't know why they can't just like shoot through like it's a pneumatic tube. Yeah. Um, and then they would pop up out of the ground in Israel. Oh, okay. Fully alive. Well, you're, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, Carry me from Mitzrayim and bury me in their tomb. I will do as you have spoken, Yosef said. Swear to me, Yisrael said. <laughs> Yosef swore to him and Yisrael bowed toward the head of the bed. And that is chapter 53. Let's hear it from Michael. Oh my God. We did a lot. Um, a lot. A lot. Do you a lot. Think, now is the time of the show where we have a Devar Torah, which literally means the Torah word. We try to sum up everything that we've just read, 49 to 53, in one single word. Michael, what's your Devar Torah? Um, ooh. Uh, hmm. what's, the, what's the word that like, means uh, slavery is natural? Um, 
racism? <laughs> Why it gotta be black? These aren't black people. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what would it would be? Um, uh, um, this is something I do not know. I don't know. What would be d dependence? Dependence. Okay. How come? Why did you choose that as your devar Torah? Because everyone in in these uh, chapters that we read yeah. is very dependent on someone or something else. Absolutely. So it's it's the family and then then Mitzrayim and Pharaoh. Everyone is not independent and is dependent on some other external force. Yeah. Everyone sort of relies on the pleasure of somebody else and yeah. finding favor in somebody's eyes to continue to live and eat. Yeah. Yeah. My word is um, denouement, which. Oh. <laughs> It's kind That's of French. boring. Yeah, it's That's not French. A word. My word is unraveling. Just because <laughs> I just feel like maybe it's because I've been doing this for two years, but we're getting to the end of the story. And that's oh, really, yeah, that's you know, fun. I feel like... Um, Sisyphus. It's Sisyphus, but all of the, the strands that have been, we've been following for a few months now are finally tying themselves up into nice little packages. So oh, that's lovely. That's nice. I also, I don't know. Um, is there, do you have anything else that you want to say about the chapters that we read? Is there anything else that comes to mind, particularly in the context of the book that you've written? Actually, yes. Uh, when the North, uh, let's, let's kill the mood immediately yeah. and make everyone super depressed. When in the we'll bring it back. Don't worry. It'll in, come back. In the 90s, when North Korea had a famine where up to 10% of the population starved, uh, and, and they refused to let the UN help and give them food. Uh, Kim Jong-il launched a campaign called Let's Eat Two Meals a Day Instead of Three. The <laughs> idea is if you want to eat two meals instead of three, you won't be as hungry, and that's good for you. So this is how, uh, so a lot of this famine stuff really did hit close to home in the context of the book. Uh, and and they still don't have food, and it, it's, it's just really kind of outrageous what's going on there. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it was interesting to me reading this, just reminding myself what... Yosef actually did in Mitzrayim, that he kind of just took attacks over the course of the entire year and then enslaved the entire country. Yeah. Um, and I think in the title of it, this is very short-sighted because things would not go well uh, for his family very soon after, in just right. a couple of generations. If uh, Yocheved is actually in somebody's belly on the way to Mitzrayim right now, like, Excuse me. Uh, it's very, very soon that all of these people are going to be enslaved. And actually, one of the reasons I, when I talk to people, I can prove to them that God didn't write the Bible is that it's not uh, consistently entertaining. And no. it, it, if you have the narrative interspersed by lists of, of who was born and these names... Those it, are pretty entertaining, I think. Well, I mean, it's entertaining because we don't speak the language, but back then it'd be like Becky, John, right. Roger, you know? <laughs> like, I don't... Like, would you ever go to a show where, like, people, they read, like, popular kids' names? <laughs> Maybe in Williamsburg, I guess, I yeah. would think. Yeah, they, yeah. It's the only thing worse than that would be, like, going to a steampunk convention. Oh... <laughs> That was um, bringing it back. You pull you just a barb at some people in the audience. I'm sure going to respond to you during the Q and A. But um, I got an A. <laughs> I think the other thing uh, I, I guess that was in it, it's it's just like a setup episode. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of setup in this in these chapters uh, for what's going to come later. Um, the whole like palace intrigue between uh, Yosef and Yisrael and the Paro is interesting to me, but it's um, you know everything goes very very smoothly after Yosef reveals himself to his brothers at least for now, which I thought um, was kind of surprising. Like uh, there was a lot of drama building up to it, but then once it happens, it's kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. I just it's much more fun on Broadway, I think. <laughs> 
So we're going to have a conversation after this. If you'd like to ask me or Michael any questions, please stick around. I'm going to finally have a drink because I can't drink before I do this. Um, do you have any plugs? Do you have anything that you want people to check out? Just go to kimjongyilbook.com. You can read the first chapter. Um, and if you go to michaelmouse.com, you can watch me running my big fat mouth on different TV shows and what, whatnot. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, being from the Soviet Union, being Jewish, those are two places I escape camps, and it's still happening now. Yeah. So I think it behooves us to uh, read about it and yet be entertained by the same time. And this is a big hole in the market that I think I filled. Absolutely. Um, uh, you can always check out Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, the website, listen on Stitcher, iTunes, any podcast app, Downcast, because iTunes really, really fucked up in the last month. Uh, please share the show with anybody you like. Rate and review us on iTunes. If you come to any live show, please come to the one next month. It's going to be pretty crazy. There are going to be a lot of people reading. Michael's going to be there in spirit reading a little bit of the Bible. And Just like God. There is some crazy, wacky stuff in the next cha chapter. Um, I want to thank uh, Fanny Wu for getting us the space, uh, the beauty bar for hosting us, our Woo! audio engineer, John Passaro. <laughs> uh, Wendy Chin for creating our marketing materials. Michael Malice, our awesome guest. Our live audience for being here, you for listening, and please join us at Beauty Barn on 14th Street on June 23rd at 8 p.m. with everybody, because next month in the Bible, it's over. Woo!